This is fun. It's okay to have fun in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Amen. This is good. Yeah. Well, I want to continue speaking on 1 Peter. And uh, guess what? We made it to chapter 2. Yeah. We're making good progress here. But um, just so you know, for those what, that maybe haven't heard of first chapter 1, <laughs> what Peter's doing here in this letter is that he is encouraging the, the readers of that day to continue to press in and press on for Christ, even in the midst of severe persecution. That's what's happening in that day of Peter when they're writing. This is the church has been scattered all around Asia Minor, the world at that time, and uh, Peter's letter is to the scattered church, not to a particular church in one location, but it's to all those that have scattered around. And the reason they're scattering is for a couple reasons. Number one is because they're going home to their homes. And number two, some of them are running from persecution because it's that bad. They are going through severe um, threats for their life. This is real deal stuff. This is not just perceived persecution, but this is really going on. And they are in a life and death reality. And Peter is trying to give them instructions and encouragement how to, how to shine for Jesus in the midst of all this stuff that's going on. Difficult times were happening. Difficult times are happening today. It's just as bad in some parts of the world. We're sheltered here in northern Michigan. We really are sheltered here. We really don't know what persecution is. But go to some parts of the world that you're under severe threat for your life if you declare Christ. Thank the Lord we don't have that here. But, you know, I think that those that are really having to stand for Christ at the risk of life and death, they probably really mean it, don't they? <laughs> they probably aren't faking it. Yet I think sometimes in a church where there's not persecution, we can fake it until we make it. We hope we'll make it. <laughs> but in there, um, it's real, real stuff. Peter is encouraging us that we are to endure. If we endure to the end, we're going to win. If we can endure to the end patiently, we're going to get through it. And the process of enduring is going to make us better. 
Paul tells Timothy, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Think about that. Think about reigning with Christ someday. To be able to endure hardship and trouble in this life, the critical factor of that is seeing persecution the way God sees it and not the way the devil intends it. There's a big difference. One of the main issues that Peter is trying to get into, this, into the people's life is that I don't let circumstances impact my Christianity, that I let my Christianity impact the circumstances. In other words, when I, when I have the tough times coming, that I don't panic and I don't fearful, I don't become fearful in it and I don't wonder where God is, I have to remember that my life is in God's hands and he is in control of all things and that as I continue to serve him diligently and with all effort of mine, that he is faithful to protect, even in the hard times. If we focus on the fear of things in this life, on the fear, if we're, if we're fearful of the things in this life, then fear dominates everything about us. And we cannot be victorious if we're fearful. Fear will take our faith in God and, and we will lose our faith and potentially even our salvation. So we have to be careful that we're focusing on the stuff around us here in a way that it's going to make us better and stronger and more effective in the kingdom and not become fearful of what it's going to do to us. There's nothing that man can do that's going to be so bad that can take away your salvation. Understand that. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago? Satan doesn't have to get you to sin to win. All he has to do is to get you to think his ways about God's ways. And then he will steal not only your rewards, but even potentially your eternal life. We don't have to sin. Satan doesn't have to get us to sin sometimes. He just has to get us to think about God's ways the way he thinks of God's ways. Because Satan doesn't see God's ways the right ways. He will distort them, and his influence is very effective. He's a very effective strategist. And if we allow Satan to influence our behavior when bad things happen in our life, then we will soon find ourselves grumbling against God and choosing a path that will take us away from God's grace and his mercy because we will get disgruntled, we will get upset, we will get impatient with God. And that's what Satan's trying to do. So Peter's trying to get us to change our perspective about the issues of life and choose God's perspective over our own. And in order to do that, we need to grow up and mature in our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Chapter 2 is talking about how we move from the immature into the mature. And we have to do a few things. So open up your Bible, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just ask you to enlighten our hearts and, and, our, and our minds today. Help us to speak what needs to be spoken. Help us to hear what needs to be heard. And Lord, just clear up any distractions that we would have today and just allow your purpose to be, to be shown today and to be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen. Whenever you begin a sentence with the word therefore, we need to know the wherefore of the therefore. In other words, why are we saying therefore? 
So let's jump back to chapter 1 and see why he's saying, therefore. We can go back to a couple verses. Go back to verse 22 and 23. And what he says is that they have purified themselves by obeying the truth. That Now that you are purified by obeying the truth, have sincere love for one another in your process of being born again. Verse 24 says that, that we are like grass and flowers that have short-lived fading lives. Yet the word of the Lord endures forever and that we are to believe in and cling to the word that was preached to us. So we're born again. We are learning to love other people. That's the process. Therefore, Peter has laid the foundation that he's going to build on now so that we can live our lives after this, craving the things of God and growing up into eternal life. How do we do this? Well, he starts off, first of all, by we have to get rid of some stuff. So we're going to be talking about uh, ridding and craving and growing up today. We're going to be talking about the things we have to get rid of, the things we have to crave in our process of growing up. Therefore, he says, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. What do these mean? What is malice? Malice is, very simply, the intent to harm someone. Deceit is the act of misleading away in the word or action, that you're misleading someone by your words or your actions. Hypocrisy is to act in a way that is not true to your nature. That's the definition. Spiritually, what it means is that if you're a professing Christian, if you claim to be in Christ, are you living a life that is truly honoring that, or are you, are you being a hypocrite by not living the way you're professing? Envy, to want something that doesn't rightly belong to you. Slander, to make false accusations against someone intending to harm them. Peter says we are to get rid of these ungodly behaviors, that they are just not supposed to be in the life of a believer. What does it mean to get rid of something? Well, to get rid of something means to actually be free of it, that you are in a better position because you no longer have to deal with something or someone that is burdensome or unpleasant to you. Some synonyms for um, ridding ourselves would be to be freed or cleared or purged, liberated, relieved, to be done away with. We're not supposed to manage it. We're supposed to get rid of it. We're supposed to be freed from it, right? That's, so we are not to manage our malice. We're not to manage our deceit. We're not to manage our hypocrisy. We're not to manage our slander. No, we are to get rid of it, meaning we don't have it anymore. To get rid of something means I give it away and I don't pick it back up again. So let's not let that little three-letter word not mean as much as it's supposed to mean. It is supposed to mean exactly what it says. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Don't touch it again. We aren't to kid ourselves when we are to rid ourselves of these attitudes and these actions because these attitudes and actions are, are bondage. They keep us in a spiritual bondage of disobedience and sin. Every one of these words are intended to hurt somebody else. It's not about my personal sin now. It's not about hurting me. But when I have malice or deceit or hypocrisy or slander or envy, I'm actually, these are attitudes and actions to hurt somebody else. And we're to put that away. We're not to gain something at someone else's at another's expense. 
Let's put this into perspective of how we're we're to be living in in a Christian life now. Remember, Peter's speaking to Christians in this letter. He's not speaking to the world. (laughs) He's not speaking to worldly people. He's speaking to Christian people. That means he's speaking to you and I today. And living like this other way would be the norm of the world. So we can expect people in the world to be envious and to be slanderous and to be deceitful. We expect that in the world, but we don't expect it in the church, do we? But why do we have it? Last week we spoke at length about loving people from the heart. Agape love. Remember that? We went through the four forms of love, ending with agape. And that agape means that we are to love as the Father loves us. We are to love unconditionally. And that was a hard word last week because it put pressure on us, it put the reality on us, it put the responsibility on us that if we're going to be a Christian, if we're going to be a follower of Christ, then we need to love like Christ. Not love like we think we want to love, but to love like Christ, agape love. And it was... It was a good word. I, I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you weren't here last week. It's on the website if you want to, but it is a challenging word. That's exactly why we need to rid ourselves of this list of bad attitudes and actions if we are to effectively be living in the love of Christ. If we're going to be sold out and living agape love, there is no room for this list of bad things. There is no room for malice. There is no room for bitterness or envy or strife or any of these words we spoke. There is no room for envy and slander. We just got to get rid of this stuff. We can't have it in our life if if we think we're going to be Christians. We just can't have it. And we got to start start reading God's Word and really believing what it says. We can't read it and think it's for somebody else. We can't read it and think it was for that time frame. We can't read it and then over time, forget about it, thinking that it's really not going to be serious or significant because I'll tell you what, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, these words are going to come back to us. Our words and our actions are going to come back to us. And if we're not taking it serious now, if we think we can manage this stuff and still be pleasing to the Lord, can I just tell you you're being deceived? The enemy is clearly working in your life if, he thinks, if, if you think that you can just manage these things in your life. There is no room for malice. I'm telling you right now, there is no room for it. We have to get rid of it. There's many other references in Scripture that instruct us on the urgency and the necessity of this. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's so interesting how these scriptures just kind of play right into each other. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here it is, verse 31, Get rid, there's that word, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. There's no room for it in a Christian's life. Get rid of it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Get rid of the junk and then bring in the godliness. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 5. Another word for getting rid of something is put to death. (laughs) Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. 
But now you must also, here's that word, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. There's no argument here, folks. There is no way that we can twist this. There's no way we can let the enemy twist this thinking that we can manage these things. Let's just declare it right now in Jesus' name. Devil, you have no authority here. We are not going to be twisted into your line of thinking to think that you can twist us into maligning ourselves with your ways when it comes to these types of poor and, and, and tragic behaviors. We line ourselves up with God's word. Now help us, Holy Spirit, to live this out in Jesus' name. Having love control our hearts means that we have to get rid of the things that, isn't, that aren't love. If love is going to control my heart, then I can't allow things that are contrary to love be in my heart. So if I'm truly loving the Lord, there is no room for malintent in my heart. If I'm loving the Lord, I have to love the Lord with all that I am because that's the way he loves us, with all that he has. Think, think about how ineffective and, and confusing it is to the world. If we're kidding ourselves about these things, how confusing are we to the world when we walk out in the world and we are professing Christians that are angry at each other or that we're, have malice towards each other? We talked about this a lot last, yes, last week, but that's the love of God, that we just cannot afford to be hypocritical. We cannot be a hypocrite here when it comes to loving people. And as hard as that is, we must figure it out. We must deal with this. We must come to grips with this. I know it's hard, but it's absolutely necessary that if we're going to love God the way that he is pleased with, if we're going to love God that is going to be the type of love that is going to welcome us into the kingdom of God forever and ever, then we have to know how, we to, how to do this. And we do this by getting rid of the junk. We become obedient to God's word. We, remember what we said last week? To become obedient to God's word means that we have to, first of all, read it. Secondly, we have to believe it. And then thirdly, we need to apply it. We must read it, believe it, and apply it. You don't, you, if you don't know what it is, how can you believe it? And if you don't believe it, how can you apply it? So we must read it first, we must believe it, not twist it, not make it something that it doesn't mean, not try to make it, twist it around so I can, I can apply it. No, we need to apply it the way it is. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in our own perfection, but we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about verse 2. Like newborn babies, like newborn babies, we are to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tested that the Lord has tasted that the Lord is good. Now, we're, we often are referred to as children in the Bible. It's interesting, isn't it, that we're often returned, referred to children. When it, becomes, when, it is, when it is acceptable to the Lord, we have to be like a child. Why is that, I wonder? Well, newborn babies are unique, and they're special because they're, they're innocent and they're unspoiled. A newborn, a newborn baby is 100% innocent and 100% unspoiled by the world. They come in so pure. They're totally dependent on another. They can do nothing on their own. Totally helpless. 
And then the third thing that's unique about a baby is that they'll eat whatever they put, you put in their mouth. <laughs> they will eat it. You put it in their mouth, they will eat it. Even their toes. They will eat whatever they put in their mouth. And you know, that's exactly the same way we are as a newborn Christian. We are innocent in the forgiveness of the Lord. And this is where many people struggle. I want to just set those clear this morning. If you've done some really, really bad things in your life, and who hasn't? When you come before the Lord and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I repent, would you please forgive me? Do you know that at that moment, he makes you as innocent as a newborn child? He totally wipes away your past. He totally, away, he, he totally wipes away your guilt of your past because he doesn't remember it any longer. He doesn't remember it. It's as far as the east is from the west. They'll never meet. He will never bring it back up again to you. Now, what we need to talk about, though, is you need to recognize that even though, yes, you are innocent before the, the eyes of God, you're innocent and you're pure before him, Unfortunately, we do have physical consequences sometimes that come along with us. Life is not going to be necessarily easy, and we're going to talk more about that later. But you need to know, first of all, that you are totally innocent of your sin. And you need to revel in that, and you need to enjoy that, and you need to accept that. And you need to forgive yourself as God has forgiven you. The second thing we are is that we're totally dependent upon someone else instructing us about godly things because in our human nature, we are nothing godly. Our human nature, there is nothing about us that's good in ourself. We must be instructed on the things of God so that we can grow up. As a newborn Christian, they'll eat spiritual food that's given to them no matter if it's good or bad. And this is where we have to be careful that we don't get into false teaching because we need to make sure that we're giving them pure spiritual food, not something that's twisted, something that's spun by man or by the devil. The craving that we have for God, it's, invital, it's vitally important that we must make it pure and not twisted. How many, you, how many here have ever taken a, a drink of spoiled milk? How many of you have gone to the refrigerator when your wives weren't watching, men, grabbed out the old jug, and just guzzle it because you're supposed to not do that, right? But when wives aren't watching, we can do it. My wife's not here today. She's downstate with our kids, so I can tell. Uh, she won't listen to this, I'm sure. But <laughs> nothing worse when you take that jug of milk and you take a big guzzle of it and it's spoiled. You do it one time in your life. That's all it takes. You never do it again because from then on, you will smell it first. And you will sniff it if it's in, in, you know, it looks good. It looks good in the container. And, you know, so many times the things of God's word can, if it's not, if it's not pure, people can spin it and spoil it. And on the outside, it looks good. The container looked good. It didn't, it didn't, you couldn't see the curdling by looking in the container. And so many times there are things of God's word that are twisted that come to us that look good on the outside, but they're not pure on the inside. We need to be careful. We need to be really careful that we need to have good, clear, pure spiritual teaching so that we can grow up unadulterated and, and, and untwisted by, by the word that may not be so pure. But when the milk is cold and when it's fresh, it tastes so good. The appetite is whetted for a cookie. You've got to have a cookie now to go with that milk I just took a drink of, right? And, you know, and that's kind of what it is about the... It's a very... They're very 
maybe a, a crass way of saying the goodness of the Lord is just that way. When I take a drink of the goodness of the Lord, it, it tastes good. When I can come in and have the peace of Jesus in my life, it really feels good, doesn't it? It really tastes good. And I want more of that. I want more of that. And that's what he's talking about. Once you taste the goodness of the Lord, why wouldn't you want more? How many can remember um, when you were first saved how sweet it was, how special it was to be in the presence of the Lord? But on like many other things, some, so many times we begin strong. We begin strong, and as we become more accustomed to what it is that amazed us initially, we become familiar with it, and we kind of lose the specialness of it. And I'll tell you, that's a real sign of spiritual decline. Can I just say that if you can't get excited about the things of God in your older years, when we stop craving the goodness of God, we are on a decline and we're on a downward path that if somebody doesn't help us to get out of it, we're going to self-destruct. The key word here is craving and pure. We must crave the pure things of God's word. It's vitally important to our health that we crave purity. And we don't let the things of this world, the boredom of life, because sometimes life can be a little boring, we can't allow that to come in and steal away that craving that we have for God's Word. It's important. We must have that, especially the older we get. The older we get, there are many things in God's Word that are vitally important for us to know, even in our older age. <laughs> we're, we've never, can we just admit it, the fact that we're never over the issue of learning? Has anybody got it figured out that they don't need to learn anymore? If you do, can I talk to you? Because I need some help. Because you can help me with some things. Because there's a lot of things that I need to know. And, and for an older Christian, it's really important that we keep feeding on the nutrition of God's Word. We can never get away from it. There is never, we've never been there, done that enough. Not to have to go back to it. Even if you read that verse 15 times, read it again. Read it again. Because the Holy Spirit that's in you will bring it alive all over again. It's important that we teach the young Christian good fundamentals. It's if a Christian person, a new Christian, doesn't grow up learning the fundamentals of godly things, then they're going to have many issues that are going to come along the way that are going to question, that they're going to question, are they really saved? Or where is the love of God? They're going to be so susceptible for deception and they're going to potentially miss seeing who God really is if we don't teach them properly. We must fill up our life with godly things. We, we cannot allow our life to be sucked clean that first moment of salvation. We must start filling it up with godly things or we're going to have more problems. And I'll tell you why. If you look at Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verse 24 and 26 tells us that when an impure spirit comes out of a person, and I will tell you that an impure spirit comes out of, came out of you when you were saved, right? Because there was an impure spirit. You don't have to be demon-possessed for this passage to, to affect you. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and go and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So if I'm not taking and filling my life up with the goodness of God's word, then I'm just inviting disaster in my life. Just so you know that, because the devil never takes a day off. 
He never takes a day off. As, as soon as he's kicked out, he's looking to come back. He's not, he's not willing to lose anyone. Just as Christ isn't willing to lose anyone, neither is the devil. He is there to get back what was stolen from him because in his opinion, you were stolen from him because rightfully you were his. Now Christ comes in. The impure spirit has been pushed out, been cleaned out of you. You're a clean house now. And if you're not filling it up with God's word, you're ripe for deception. You're ripe for a reattack, and you know he's coming back. You know the devil's attacking you. You know he's going to come back. Remember, he doesn't have to, to get you to sin to win necessarily. He just has to get you to think ungodly thoughts about godly things. We must have a foundation to, so we can understand some of the harder things of God's word. See, if a new convert comes in, and if they're told, them, if they're, told, if they're convinced, if you, if you have to convince someone to get saved, they're probably not really saved. If you, have to, if you have to entice them with, oh, you know, give your heart to Jesus and life's going to be good. Get your heart, you know, life to Jesus and your wife's going to come back. And your dog and all these different things, you know, you're going to have all these good things. And, you know, if you do that, I promise you, I promise you your life's going to get better. You know, don't do that to people. Don't do that as a way to get them saved because that's not going to happen that way. They're going to get attacked. As soon as they're saved, they're going to get attacked and they're going to have more problems coming into their life. And so if I tell them that, if I'm not being true, if I'm not giving them pure spiritual milk at that point, because that's milk now, because that is something that they don't, they don't have teeth to chew on this. If I don't tell them the truth of God's word and saying, guys, listen, this is worth it, but you're going to go through some struggles. You're going you're gonna to be attacked. You're going to have some hard times coming, but you're not alone in it. Believe me, you're not alone, but you need to tell them the truth. And we need to instruct people with the truth of God's word and not some watered-down, diluted version of it that just makes it look like we're getting something done. We don't want to do that. Jesus was clear that if we're going to have to serve him, we are going to have to take up our cross. Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We need to give people that instruction. Let me ask the question. How long do we need to stay on spiritual milk? Can we stay on spiritual milk too long? Do we need to get into the meat of God's word at some point in time in our life? Yeah. Yeah, the first days of Christianity were awesome. You just got the new Bible. You couldn't stop reading it. Remember that? You were so excited to learn all you could about this life. But if we don't maintain that spiritual craving, it won't be long and that craving will leave us naturally. It will go away for us. We must continue to um, fan the flame, if you will, like Paul told Timothy, to fan the flame. And it's sad to think that some of us could wane at some point in time in life. It's sad to think that, but it's probably true for all of us to some degree. The reality is if you're not still craving the Word of God, you need to get it back. You need to get it back. You need to take responsibility for it. You can't naturally just say, well, I'm going to just get it when I go to church. I'm just going to get it by the Sunday school teacher or the pastor. No, our days of learning of God's goodness and grace never end. And our holy requirements are always in front of us. The writer of Hebrews had a similar message to the readers of his day because he had the same issues. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. He's talking to seasoned Christians here. This isn't to the world. 
In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The, he, the writer here is talking to the mature, or not, I shouldn't say mature, talking to the established church. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Does this hit home at all with us? Are we trying to understand God's word? Or are we thinking that we got it all figured out? A person that isn't interested in learning can't be taught, just so you know that. If you're not interested, if you're not willing to come into a Sunday school class or a Wednesday night Bible class or a women's Bible teaching or a men's group, if you're not constantly looking to get fed, then you won't get fed. Nobody's going to force feed you. The Holy Spirit's not going to force feed you. You just won't get fed. Then the writer, he goes on in verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. Most of you ought to be teachers, he says. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again because you never grew up. I know this is hard, but physically, a child can't help but grow up. These little kids in the front row earlier, they can't help it. As much as we as parents don't want our kids to grow up, they're going to grow up. Spiritually, though, it doesn't just happen automatically. Spiritual growth doesn't happen without spiritual effort. You're not going to grow up automatically spiritually unless you put effort into it. Do you know that? Just because you've been saved for 30 years doesn't mean you're mature. We need to grow up. We need to live on milk while we're young, but we need to progress from milk into spiritual food. We need to get into God's word, into the meat of it. How, how dangerous is it for a young Christian that isn't taught, isn't discipled, isn't taught godly things? How dangerous are they and how susceptible are they for a false teaching? Because remember, they're hungry. They're craving something. And whatever you put in a baby's mouth, he'll eat. Whatever you put in a young Christian's mouth, he'll eat it, even if it's not pure. That's dangerous. And we, as older people, we need to see that, and we need to help that. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're not putting anything impure in our life. We need to make sure that we're trained to distinguish between good and evil. So while Jackie, as we come, she just went out to get some music. We're going to conclude here in a minute. But, see, it takes effort. Can I just say this? It takes effort to grow up spiritually. How many here have been a Christian more than a year? How many more than five years? How many more than 10 years? 20 years? 30 years? Okay, let me ask you, how much effort have you had to put into your, in your spiritual life over those years? What happens when you start to coast? Somebody tell me, what happens, what happens to your spiritual life? What happens to your closeness with, to, to Jesus or that, that, that ability to go to God and pray earnestly and fervently when you haven't been time in the Word lately? It gets dull, doesn't it? It gets hard. It, it's, just, it's just not pure anymore. It seems forced. It seems like when you're praying that your words don't go above the ceiling. You ever had those dry times? Now, here's the deal. When you have the dry times, sometimes great work and the great things are accomplished in the dry times because this is where we need to persevere and we need to endure patiently to the end. This is not where you give up. This is where you keep hanging in there. Jackie, we're ready for you whenever you're ready. But as we conclude, though, well, I want to ask the questions a little bit here this morning. Are we still craving the things of God? 
think about this. Just close your eyes and just think of this question. When was the last time I craved the Word of God? When was the last time that I couldn't wait until I opened up the Bible? When was the last time that I just couldn't wait to get up in the morning so that I could open up the Word of God and spend some time in prayer? You see, if we're going to grow up, it's, simp- it's more than just simply, simply reading a quick little devotional than getting on with our day. That's, that's equivalent to an adult sucking on a bottle of milk. How embarrassing would it be if you go out for dinner with some friends, you go down to Kelsey's or you go down to, to Terry's place or something and you open up the menu to order a nice steak and your buddy pulls out a bottle of milk and starts sucking milk because he's not old enough to chew a steak. Pretty embarrassing, wouldn't it? But yet, how many times are we embarrassing ourselves spiritually because we should be walking above the elementary truth and we should be walking into his kingdom with authority and power and knowing that we are conquerors. But yet, all we're doing is really sucking a bottle of milk because we haven't got to that point yet. You know what happens? You know how many people you let down that way? Because the reason you come to church here is not just to feed yourself up, but people need you. People need you to be mature Christians so that they can, you can help them. And you need to be off spiritual milk at some point in time in your life. And you need to be able to stand up and be that mature Christian that can help them absorb the difficulties in life because you've been through that before and you're still growing in it and you're still eating the meat of God's word and it's fresh in your mind and you're able to give a quick response to help someone that's struggling because they're spiritually young. And if I'm an older person that's not spiritually able to help somebody else, that's going to take my rewards. It's going to take, it's going to hurt me in the end as much as it's hurting them. So this morning, I just want to ask you the questions this morning. I just want you to think about it, and I would like you to take this home with you when you go today. But I just would ask you to reevaluate your life and ask yourself, as I'm asking me, how hungry am I? How spiritually hungry am I keeping myself? Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, this is one of those messages that needs to sink in for a bit. This is one that might be forgotten quickly. But Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be with us and recreate for us a hunger and help us to be able to be quick to learn of your goodness that we've tasted at one time. Bring that pure taste back and that appetite back into our lives. Give us that new life again. Restore that burning that we had at one point in time in our life. Lord, help us to get rid of all the stuff that we need to get rid of. Help us not to manage it. Help us to get rid of it. That help us to fill up our life with of your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and the team are playing. And let's just praise the Lord and worship him and give him an opportunity to just bring this new in our life again. In Jesus' name. Stand with us if you'd like to. I, I lay my life down. 
Father, as we lay our hearts down before you today, Lord, I pray that you'd be honored. Pick us up, Lord Jesus, and restore us into that newness of life. Give us, Father, that desire to, to know you better this week. Help us, Lord, to just to follow you closer than we ever have before, knowing that the times are tougher and tougher, and we need you more and more. So I pray your, your authority, pray your blessing. We accept your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.